Hello, this is Joyce Chang, Chair of Global Research at J.P. Morgan Chase, and you're listening to All Into Account, our global research cross-asset strategy podcast where we take a look at the key trends impacting financial markets and the global economy. Last week, we published our latest J.P. Morgan Perspectives, focused on Japan's big exit, 10 questions about Japan's regime change. So in this episode, we are answering these questions, and we discuss Japan's exit from negative yields and a low inflation equilibrium, including examining the longer-term implications for global markets and liquidity. So where exactly are we in regime change in Japan? Well, since the Bank of Japan's surprise decision on December 20th to widen the yield curve control YCC band, JGB 10-year yields have jumped by as much as 16 basis points on that day. The yen appreciated against the dollar by 7%, and Japan's stock of negative yielding debt has declined by more than $1 trillion, and equities have been in a more volatile range. Regime change is indeed underway and impacting markets, and it's likely the beginning of the end for yield curve control. So what are the key tail risks to watch and the key events to monitor? I am so pleased to be joined by our chief economist for Japan, Ayako Fujita, Toru Sasaki, our head of Japan Macro Research, Ben Chattel, senior economist for Japan, Takafumi Yamawaki, head of Japan Fixed Income Research, and Ri Nishihara, who is head of Japan Equity Strategy, to discuss their market views and investment views. And I'd like to begin first by asking Toru Sasaki, our head of Japan Macro Research, to go through the timetable of what lies ahead. There's a lot of anticipation of major announcements, including the transition to a new BOJ governor. Toro, can you lay out the timetable of the key events to watch from BOJ in the coming months? Thank you, Joyce. Japanese government is likely to announce the candidates officially for the next BOJ governor and deputy governors in coming days. Once announced, they will need to face a diet committee and speak about their thoughts on monetary policy, then obtain the consent from the diet. The diet committee sessions are likely to be held in the second half of February or early March. Nikkei reported that the government is asking Mr. Amamiya, who is the incumbent deputy governor, to be the successor of Governor Kuroda. If that is the case, Mr. Amamiya is most likely to explain to the Diet Committee that current monetary policy stance is appropriate and likely to continue for a while. Next monetary policy announcement will be on March 10th, and that will be the last meeting for incumbent governor and deputy governors. So any surprise decision is unlikely on this meeting, uh, while deputy governor Amamiya may be explaining current monetary policy's legitimacy in the Diet Committee around that day. Last day of deputy governors, including Mr. Amamiya, is March 19th. And the last day of Governor Kuroda is April 8th. The following monetary policy announcement, which will be the first one under the uh, new governor and the deputies, will be on April 28th. So most likely, we are unlikely to see any surprise movement from the BOJ in next two and a half months. Thank you so much for that, Toru. Um, a great way to re- really just set the time frame for what we need to watch in the coming months. I'd like to now turn to Ayako Fujita, our chief economist for Japan, to talk about Japan's macro outlook. 
Ayako, is the BOJ finally at regime change? And do you see it abandoning yield curve control and negative interest rate policy? And on what timetable do you think these decisions could be taken? We expect the BOJ to widen the 10-year YCC bond, likely to plus minus 100 basis point in the middle of this year. We assume that the upper limits of the bond at 100 basis point is close to the equilibrium 10-year JGB yield that the market currently expects. So the change likely will lead to an effective removal of YCC eventually. But we expect this move to come without advanced communication from the BOJ, as the bank appears to be still constrained in its communication with the market with the YCC still remaining in place. But once YCC is effectively abolished, the BOJ will be able to decide the timing of the lifting of negative interest rate policy without being exposed to the market pressure. So we expect the BOJ to conduct a policy review on the negative interest rate policy and remove it when the economy can tolerate a rising interest rate which we currently expect sometime in mid next year or later. Bank of Japan recently raised its core CPI forecast to 3% for this year, excluding fresh food and energy. Now that deflation has ended, do you think the 2% inflation target can be met over the medium term? The BOJ has yet to officially take the position that it can achieve the inflation target of 2% in a sustainable manner, but we expect Japan's inflation to stay around the target for coming years. The BOJ's core inflation, excluding fresh food and energy, has already exceeded the BOJ's 2% target. We expect the inflation to moderate somewhat beginning in the second quarter this year, owing mainly to base effect and government subsidies. But we still expect the BOJ and global core inflation to remain close to the target throughout the year, supported by upward shift of firms' cost pass-through and inflation expectations. We also see the BOJ's confidence in achieving the target is increasing, based on Governor Crowder's positive statement in the changing corporate pricing behavior and wage prospects. Thank you so much, Ayako, for laying out the macro framework. So let's turn to talk about the JGB market now. Um, so Takufumi, thank you so much for joining us. So after widening the band in December, the Bank of Japan conducted the largest monthly base purchase of JGBs in history. Will the JGB market remain disorderly, and how will policymakers restore market function? Thank you very much, uh, Joyce. Uh, when we talk to our domestic and the foreign clients, uh, they agree that the BOJ will take a further normalization step, uh, such as a YCC uh, tweak or or uh, YCC exit under the new governor. So uh, that we expect the market participants to uh, remain cautious over further policy tweak for some time. Uh, in terms of uh, positioning and uh, investment stance, uh, domestic banks are likely to stay uh, on the sidelines. Uh, leaving the BOJ the only steady buyer in the long sector. The lack of the uh, the steady buyers uh, will remain a concern uh, for a uh, foreseeable future. Uh, on falling uh, investors, uh, they might keep uh, various positions in the futures uh, and the JGB market and also maintain paying uh, position uh, in the swap market. Uh, that said, uh, even if uh, Deputy Governor Mamiya uh, becomes the next governor, uh, once the BOJ carries out the next policy tweak, uh, domestic uh, investors may uh, return uh, as buyers uh, as we have uh, more clarity uh, around the market policy going forward. 
the uh, foreign investors may cover short as there are expectations uh, for further policy normalization, uh, such as uh, NARP exit, uh, will likely recede uh, as the BOJ likely uh, signal the message. Uh, moving on to our household, uh, our economics uh, team uh, expects the BOJ to widen the YCC uh, band to uh, 0% uh, plus minus 100 base point. If that uh, focus is realized, uh, then we think uh, the 10-year uh, yield is likely to uh, trade slightly uh, below 1%. Uh, that means uh, that uh, market functioning should improve by some degree, uh, assuming that the BOJ uh, does not have to uh, use uh, fixed rate operations. Takafumi, where do you think that JGB yields will settle and find an equilibrium after the volatility that we've seen? Ah, yes, uh, the, we expect the JGB yields uh, to rise in two steps. The first, uh, we expect the BOJ to uh, de facto exit uh, from YCC, uh, but uh, keep uh, its negative interest rate policy. Under this scenario, uh, we expect the 10 year yield to reach 0.85% uh, plus minus 15 base point uh, in second quarter and decline to 0.75% uh, plus minus 15 base point uh, by the end of this year. Uh, this is our baseline view uh, for this year. The second uh, NAP exit uh, is not something uh, we expect to happen uh, in this year. However, uh, it is still uh, worthwhile to highlight our thought. The, after our NAP exit, uh, we expect the 10-year yield to rise uh, to around 1%, uh, plus or minus 20 base point. Uh, although this can uh, change materially uh, depending on the JGB purchase operation amount. Uh, in any cases, uh, the, the, the current 10-year uh, yield level of around 0.5% is still well below uh, where it should be uh, in the post-YCC exit or NAP exit world. Uh, the BOJ uh, need to uh, take a few more normalization steps uh, before JGB yield uh, reach their uh, equilibrium. Thank you so much for sharing your outlook with us, Takafumi. I'd like to now talk more about the yen and the currency outlook. Um, let me now turn to Ben Chattel, our senior economist for Japan. So Ben, how much more could yen appreciate? And has yen vol really faded? Okay, so let me start by saying that, you know, the, the yen, as we know, is one of the more sensitive currencies to, to yields. Um, and, you know, our baseline view going into 2023 has really been that a, a peaking out in yields, particularly U.S. yields and Fed pricing, um, would underpin a stronger yen versus the dollar. And I think, you know, clearly that, that view is up for debate, but that's been our sort of fundamental view in terms of thinking about the yen. Um, but I think there are also, you know, other important shifts that we're seeing in Japan, um, you know, sitting in Tokyo, particularly for the, you know, in terms of thinking about the flow backdrop for the yen. And, you know, I think my view really here is that 2023 is, is going to mark an important shift in terms of thinking about those Japanese investor flows and what they mean for the yen. So, you know, if we think about last year being a year dominated by strong demand for yen funding, large Japanese importer um, yen selling flows that underpin yen weakness, I think what we potentially see this year is something quite different. And I think, you know, what's changing is that we're already seeing very large repatriation flows um, of capital. So Japanese investors shifting out of global debt markets and, and back to Japan. And, you know, I think we all know that really speaks to the idea that Japanese yields are heading higher. Um, and I think eventually start looking a lot more attractive to Japanese investors. 
So look, of course, some of those flows are gonna be FX hedged and, and they won't affect the yen. But I think bottom line is this to me looks like a fundamentally more supportive backdrop for the yen, certainly compared to what we saw uh, in 2022. Thank you so much, Ben, um, for just providing us with the context of how the currency has performed. But a, a question for you, is it time to get back into the yen carry trade? And how do you see the overall environment for carry trades? Well, look, the yen is really the last of the funders. BOJ is the last remaining central bank to be running negative interest rate policy. Um, and therefore, the yen is the last remaining negative yielding currency. And I think on the back of that point, we've seen a large rise in yen funding demand. So if you look at things like proxies of, of yen carry trades, um, we've seen a fairly sharp rise in terms of that yen funding demand through the last 12 months or so. So, you know, if I think about yen funding, yen carry trade proxies, they're probably about 50, 60 percent higher now than they were this time last year. So absolutely, in the short term, on a yield differential basis, the yen is, you know, one of the most attractive funders out there. And in that sense, the, the trade probably has further to run. But, you know, what I'd like to do is take a step back and think, you know, think about the fact that we also want to recognize that the BOJ is on the move. And I would be emphasizing the medium term story here for the yen, which to me suggests that we could actually be thinking about more yen resilience. So higher yen yields, higher Japan yields, um, as the BOJ continues to relax YCC policy, as the market starts pricing in an exit from negative rates, um, that combines with a, a story of potentially lower trade deficits. And I think the final point is if we're thinking about recession risk this year, you know, yen is your typical outperformer um, during periods of flight to quality. Thank you so much, Ben. Let's now turn to talk about the outlook for Japan's equity market. So, Ri, wonderful to be with you today. How will the end of YCC and deflation impact the performance of Japanese equities? From a rate strategy perspective, JGB 10-year yields will be 75 basis point plus minus 15 basis point. The JGB 10-year upper bound has to be raised by 25 basis point. This, is, this would read the yen to appreciate by 2 to 3% or 3 to 4 yen from an FX perspective. And we see the sensitivity between dollar yen and Nikkei as being 0.4 times, which means that 2 to 3 percent of yen appreciation would bring a 1 to 2 percentage downside impact on topics EPS. This is not a large impact in our view. While the JPY swap 10 years yield is at 85 basis point, we could say that the market has already priced in the end of YCC. In such a case, in a short term, we may see overshooting impact, but in the medium term, there should not be an additional impact. These are the impact of the corporate earnings fundamentals. When it comes to multiples, higher rates usually lead to lower price to earnings multiple. But this is a case for a normal economy. For a differential economy like Japan, we see a different relations between yields and multiples. When an environment with rising rate is realized, Japan equities can be re-rated, a reversal of derating during the decades of differential economic environment. Well, that's a lot of food for thought as we look ahead, but I'd like to actually now ask you beyond the overall outlook for 
um, Japanese equity markets? How are you looking at specific sectors? Which sectors will benefit the most from the end of YCC and the exit from decades-long deflationary environment? First, the financial sectors benefit most. While the bank's core earnings bottomed out in 2019, valuations were left unchanged until late last year. Now the price to book of Topics banks is at around 0.6 times, and if market expect monetary policy normalization, the price to book would hit for 0.7 to 0.8 times, the level before the negative interest rate policy, NERP, was adopted in 2016. So would insurance company stocks. The end of YCC would bring price to EV embedded value of insurers from 0.3 to 0.5 times the pre-NERP level. Thank you so much, Ree. So Toro, before we conclude today's program, I have a final question for you. What are the potential spillover effects due to the sale of foreign assets by Japanese investors as domestic yields rise? In 2022, we saw record sales that were four times the average of previous years. What lies ahead further this year? Well, uh, Japanese residents net sold foreign debt for more than 20 trillion yen in last year, which is more than $150 billion. We have never seen such a big sales in one year in the history. This was because of unwinding of the foreign debt investment due to sharp rising in long-term interest rate in other major economies. In addition, Japanese investors need to get out from FX hedged foreign bonds investment because FX hedging costs and foreign currency funding costs rose sharply due to the rise in short-term interest rates and the same country inverted yield curves. If JGB interest rates rise further due to the BOJ's monetary policy change, there is a possibility that JGBs will be preferred and foreign bond sales by Japanese investors continues further. We can point out several spillover effects we need to consider from such foreign bond sales by Japanese investors. First, while many may think that the most impact to be seen in the US Treasury market, where Japan is the largest single foreign holder, actually impact from Japanese sales could be more visible in Australia, New Zealand, and Europe where Japanese holdings represent a share in the high single to low double digits. Second, it may change the structure of Japan's external balances. Japan's current account balance over the past decade has undergone a transformation. While the overall current account surplus has remained stable, this has masked a broad shift in its composition. With a significant increasing primary income surplus, offsetting a long-term flip from trade surpluses to deficit. However, if the foreign bond holdings by Japanese investors decrease substantially because of the continuous sales, investment income surplus should also decline, which is suggesting the potential, potential for narrower current account surpluses going ahead. Lastly, foreign bonds holdings with FX hedge is alternative investment of JGB. Therefore, if there are transactions to shift from foreign bonds holdings to JGB due to higher yield in JGB, that is the sales of the FX hedged bond, which means there should be impact on the foreign bonds market, but the implication on FX market should be limited. Thank you so much, um, Toru, and thank you, Ayako, Takafumi, Ben, and Ria for joining us today. 
I want to thank all of our listeners for joining us as we examine the implications of Japan joining the positive yield world. Please stay tuned for more episodes of All Into Account, J.P. Morgan's Global Research Podcast Series. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please read J.P. Morgan's research reports related to its contents for more information, including important disclosures. Copyright 2023, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. All rights reserved. This episode was recorded on February 9th, 2023.